amazing. So just a bit of a recap of chapter two, which we finished yesterday. Chapter two says, so the king is in the field. Where in the field? And we said within every single one of us, right? But we have a piece of the king, piece of Hashem in our hearts, which is called the Ahava Mesuteret, the hidden love that exists in our godly soul. And what does it mean to greet the king in the field? What does it mean to tap into what we said, the Yud Gimel Midot HaRachamim, which are revealed in Elul, which are more like accessible in Elul, but we need to reveal it. How do we reveal this very, very high level of Hashem's Rachmanot, of Hashem's mercy, by turning inwards, right? By directing ourselves inward and finding that spark, that infinite spark that exists within every one of us. And then we said, <clears throat> that's great, that's lovely, but how do we do that, right? So some people, they just know how to do that. They just feel that spark. Most of us don't. It's there, but it's called hidden for a reason, right? Hashem is in the field in Elul for a reason. What does it mean Hashem is in the field? That he looks like a farmer, that we have to go out and seek him, that it's not obvious that he's the king. So we have to do some soul searching in Elul. And so we spoke about three steps that the Alter Rebbe gives us. What if we don't, answering the question of what if we don't feel anything? We don't feel this love. We don't feel this infinite peace of God within us. And the way to connect with God is to connect with this part of ourselves, which is one with God. So how do we do that? So we said the first step is to arouse mercy on our soul, to put ourselves in the shoes of our soul, to think about how infinite this part of us is, how great its potential and how low it has sunk, right? In the life that we've lived, how it is in captivity, it's not able to express itself, etc. And when we contemplate on that, the goal is that it should arouse mercy. When we arouse mercy on our soul, we start to wake up these feelings towards what's called getlichkeit, godliness, and then we can reveal this love and we can reinitiate this relationship. Then the Alter Rebbe says, what if you do that and you still don't feel anything, right? You've thought about it, you've contemplated the state of your soul and you're so far away, right? You've been apathetic for so long that we don't feel anything. And what did we say was the solution for that? Do you guys remember? What's the solution if you've tried? That was the third step. <laughs> that was like... Right. We should arouse an even higher level of mercy on the fact that we are so cut off from our source and from the truth of who we are that we don't even feel that we're cut off from our source and from the truth of who we are. That that should, that should actually raise within us an even higher level of mercy, compassion for the fact that we can't even feel compassion. And that manifests as turning toward Hashem, the source of compassion, and saying, Hashem, help me feel compassion on my soul. Help me feel something toward my soul so that I can get back in touch with this love and with this connection that I have innately with you within myself, right? So that was the second step. Then we said, what if that doesn't work, right? What if we, and the Altarab is being very practical over here. He's talking to normal people, right? He's not talking to tzaddikim. He says, okay, so what if you try to awaken the mercy on your soul, you don't feel anything. Then you turn to Hashem, you say, please shine your mercy on me so I can feel mercy on my soul and you still don't feel anything. Then what? So we said, the Altarab, he says, then you need to do what's called go through the process of fire. We said that, that then we go to the second part of the verse of Ani Ladodi. Ani Ladodi Vadodili Haroe Bashoshanim. I am to my beloved. My beloved is to me who is shepherding among the roses. We said just as a rose the Zohar brings, 
can turn from red to white through fire, right? A red rose, if it gets burned, will turn into ashes, which are white. So too, red, which we said represents sin, or not necessarily the act of sin, but disconnection from God, because we've been so immersed in physicality, we can take away the red stain, so to speak, and turn it white and turn it pure and reconnect to the purity that exists within us through fire. And what is fire? The Altrapi says fire is sigufim v'taniyot. It's fasting and physical, we called it physical discomfort, right? Different things that people would do to their bodies to kind of get, get themselves out of their own way, right? So they can reveal the truth of who they were. We said this is not the Avodah of today. The Rebbe is very clear on that. That this is not the way that we reveal the truth of who we are today. That was in the days of yore. If you listen to stories of great tzaddikim or great chassidim, you'll hear stories of them rolling naked in the snow and not eating for a very long periods of time. This, is, this was the service of a generation that is not our generation, right? We said that our generation, the Rebbe says very, very clearly when we do teshuva, when we reconnect, it's through simcha, it's through joy, it's through positivity not through harshness, not through judgment. So what does that look like for us? As Shana said, tracht gut gut. Think good and it will be good. The Rebbe explains this in a mimer, this section, that step number three, if you still don't feel anything, what does it mean to think good and it will be good? Trust Hashem that there, trust, not only trust Hashem, trust yourself. Trust that there is this peace of God within you and that Hashem is going to help you feel it. And, um, and Tikvi asked a question yesterday. I've been thinking about it. That seems like a very... We would think we're going down, right, in expectations, right? If you, if you can't arouse mercy, then pray to God. If you still can't arouse mercy, we're, we think we're going lower down. We're speaking to a lower, lower level person. So how can we say, okay, so just trust, right? That's a very high level to expect. So I was thinking about that a little bit. This is what I thought. I'll share it with you. You can take it or leave it. Um, just the idea of trust, right? Why does the Rebbe say... Think good and it will be good. Trust Hashem. Trust that this part of you is there, is very much alive, and is very much in love with Hashem. And that in time, it will be revealed. So when we think about trust, Sharbi Tachon speaks about this. The gate of trust. How do you know if you've reached a level of what's called bitachon? How do you know? How would you know in somebody else? How do you know in yourself? Oh, in this area of my life, I trust God. You're sort of worry-free. Exactly. Worry-free. That's the, that's the bar over there, right? Like if you ever go to like a coaching... I'm learning Sharabita. Oh, okay, beautiful. There we go. Very, very recommended. Um, so if you ever have like a coaching session, that will stay at the beginning. How are you going to know... That we've, you know, our sessions have been successful, right? What, how are you going to know? What's the boss? How do you know if you reach bitachon? If you're worry-free. If you live your life with a certainty that it's going to work out, right? So if we think about a certain money, for example, that's a big one, right? That the Rebbe, many times people would write to the Rebbe with worries about money and asking for a bracha. And the Rebbe would say, go and learn Shabbat Tachon. Someone would say, go learn it twice. Learn it and they learn it again. How do you know that you have bitachon, that Hashem is going to provide for you? Not that you start to sit on your couch every day and you say, Hashem, I know Hashem's going to provide. That's not, you know, somebody with bitachon still goes to work every single day, but they're worry-free because they live their life as if they are 100% certain that they are going to have money, that they are going to have pranasa, that it is going to work out. So 
what does it look like to tracht gut wird sein, think good and will be good? What does that look like? It's not some thinking, it's, it's living your life as if you know for certainty that it's going to work out. So if we take that to what the Rebbe says here, and again, this is my interpretation, the Rebbe says, tracht gut wird sein, what does that look like? A little bit, I've been thinking about it. To live worry-free, what does that mean? To live as if we know for certain that we do have a godly soul and that that godly soul does want to be connected to God constantly, always, and that that part of us loves God. So to trust that there's a part of us that loves God means to live our life as if that's true. And when we do that enough, it will become true, right? And it's not fake until you make it because it was always true. We're not faking anything because the truth is that we have a part of us that is very much in love with God, that all it cares about is a relationship with God. So if we can't awaken the emotions in Elul or in general to go out and greet the king, what can we do? We can live as if we feel those emotions. If we live that enough, the emotions will come. That's the guarantee. If you live worry-free enough, if you trust Hashem enough, there will be revealed good in your life. Not just good that you can maybe explain away afterwards. Oh, maybe that, maybe that was good. No, revealed, true revealed good in your life will come because you lived as if that was going to happen. You broke out of your boundaries by doing that and Hashem breaks out of his boundaries and gives you not only good from Hashem's perspective, but good from your perspective as well. So that's just a little bit of a, of a thought. What if I can't wake up those emotions? What's tracht gut wird sein gut? Live as if you do feel those emotions. So if you did wake up this morning in Elo, and you felt the truth of the love that your soul has for God, what would your day look like? What would you be doing? And then go and do that, right? And that's really what we're going to be seeing in chapter three, the action part of this, taking these emotions, taking the revelation that, ha- that exists that's so close to us in Elul and in Tishrei and living with that. That's what, that's what chapter three is going gonna, is gonna to discuss. Um, okay, any questions or comments? We're going to chapter three. Bitachon and Trachgut Vedzangut go together. Bitachon, Trachgut is the Hasidic interpretation of what Bitachon means. What does it mean to trust God? To think, to think good, to trust, to the point that you trust so much that it will be good in a revealed way to you. Not trust that it will work out, that Hashem knows best. No, trust that it will be good for you, that you're going to see it as good as well. I find a really big difference in the um, non Right. There's an even higher level. There's, oh, it's going to work out. Right now it's bad, but it'll, we'll see how it's good. Then it's, oh, it's good. I just don't see it. And then there's the, the next level, which is, I see that it's good. And the Rebbe, when he would give brachas, he would say, that he would bless people with good, that is seen, that is revealed. We don't want just good, because everything's good. God is good. We want to see that goodness, right? And that's the difficulty of trust. That's why trust is like this very difficult thing, because it's saying not only do I need to trust that God knows it's good, that God is good, but that my life is going to be good and I'm going to be able to see that. And when we truly believe that, we can live worry-free, right? As you said, that's, that's, 
That's how we know we've really reached this level of trust. If you don't have worry, because you know that not only is it good from God's perspective, but it'd be good for your perspective, your family's perspective, for, for your health, for your financial, everything. Okay. Chapter three. So chapter three is not, it's not, it's not going to the next step. It's not saying, okay, so what if that still doesn't work? Now we're, we're shifting a little bit. The Alter Rebbe is saying here, okay, so now that we've done this Avodah in Elul, now that we're really working on reconnecting with Hashem, reinitiating our relationship, getting rid of the apathy, moving towards, moving towards actual emotion, excitement, and passion for Hashem, which is the goal of Elul, which is the goal of Teshuvah, returning to the love that has always been there. How can we keep this going? That's the next question. Because I mentioned this all the way at the beginning of Anil Dodi, that the purpose of Elul and Tishri, we don't live, we don't live 11 months of the year, 10 and a half months of the year, so that by the time we get to Elul and Tishri, we can feel sin-free, right? I'm going to live 10 and a half months so that by the time I get to Elul and Tishri, by the time I'm sitting in Shul Rosh Hashanah, I'm like, phew, how is good this year? I don't have anything to worry about. It's the exact opposite. We experience and live Elul and Tishrei in a way that the next 10 and a half months will be infused with a relationship and a passion and a love for Hashem, right? And I brought this up before. There's a famous debate in the Gemara. Do, does Shabbos exist to give inspiration to the rest of the week? Or do we live the whole week so that we can reach a level of inspiration on Shabbos, right? What serves what? Does the week serve Shabbos? Does Shabbos serve the rest of the week? The answer is both, right? It says that you need to work for six days and rest on the seventh. So the six days are as integral to the rest on Shabbat as Shabbat itself. But the perspective really that, that Hasidus takes is that Shabbat exists, that life does not exist for Shabbat, but rather Shabbat exists to infuse our life with godliness, right? That our whole week, even when we're out and we're working, we should remember the truth. And that's, as we said, all the way at the beginning of the mashal. Why does the king come out to the field? We said, the king comes out to the field and he is accessible and he's available to anybody who wants to speak to him. And anybody who takes that opportunity, he will really, really appreciate that because the king is wise, right? And the king can give him counsel. And then the king takes everyone, even people who didn't greet him in the field, no judgment, takes everybody into his palace. All of the farmers he takes with him into the palace. And there they get to see God as he really is in his royalty, right? In his royal clothing. And then God kicks everybody out, right? As we said. Well, that's Ne'ilah. Ne'ilah means locking the gate. Says, okay, you've had your fun. You've been in the palace. You've had your Elul where you could come talk to me. Now go back to the field. And everybody's like, wait, what? We were getting used to this life, right? Being so close to the king. And Hashem says, no, the whole point of why I came out and gave you this experience is so that you can go back and do your job in the field knowing that you have a king who loves you, you have a king who cares about you, and knowing why you're doing this work, who you're feeding, right? The farmers, they're feeding the king, as we said. So that's what chapter three is going to discuss. How can we take the experience of the Anila Dodi Vadodili that we've now achieved, hopefully, to some extent, we still have a few more days, um, and we still have Tishrei to really experience that and, and get the rewards of our efforts in Elul by really feeling that connection in a deeper way because we've earned it, we've made vessels for it. How can we take our Elul and take our Tishrei and make it last? Because we want it to last until the next Elul in Tishrei, right? That's what we're going to discuss here. How can we make vessels for this love, for this revelation, and for this connection that we've hopefully tapped into in some way? Okay. 
So we started yesterday reading inside. I'm going to read it again. The Altar takes another Pasuk from Shir Hashirim. So this is really an, a mimer with Psukim from Shir Hashirim, which is the song of songs written by King Solomon, which is really a love song between a man and a woman. And a, the love, so to speak, relationship and the chasing and the yearning that Hashem and the Jewish people have for one another. And he takes uh, another Pasuk to bring this next point home of how can we take this revelation that we've tapped into an Elul and that we're going to experience in Tishrei and make it something that lasts, not something that's fleeting and just in the moment. So let's start again from the beginning inside in Gimel. Ach, however, there's another thing, there's another point. That somebody should advise their soul, somebody should take to heart. As is written in Shashim chapter 3, Bashvachim or Barchovot in the marketplace and in the streets. Avaksha, I am seeking out et nafshi, the love of my soul. Adshematsati nafshi until I find the love of my soul. Achastiv, I hold on to him, penu, and I do not let go. Adshahevesiv until I bring him El Betimi to the house of my mother the Al-Khadar Horati, to the bedroom of my parents, to the room where I was conceived. So on a simple level, this is a woman who is seeking out her lover, the same woman, the same man throughout the story. She's seeking him out. She's looking for him frantically. She's asking. It says, if you read the whole passage, she's asking the gods, have you seen him? Have you seen him? She's looking, she's looking. And finally she finds him. What does she do? She holds on to him and she doesn't let go until she brings him to her mother's house. Okay, what does this mean? What's the connection here? What does this mean in our relationship with Hashem? Again, we are the women in the relationship. Hashem is the man in the relationship in this mashal, an analogy that's brought in Shir Hashem. Pirush, the explanation is, She'ahava nafshi bekametz, that when it says the love of my soul, it uses the vowel of a kametz, which changes the tense of the word of the love of my soul to that of that which my soul has loved. That which my soul has always loved. It changes the tense and it makes it, instead of the love of my soul, that which my soul has always loved, even in the past. Hulashon kvar. It's the language of already, in the past. Masha kvar. Something, someone that I have loved already. Hainu, this means, ki Yisrael alu b'machshava. That the Jewish people, and we again uses the context, the term Yisrael, alu b'machshava, came up in God's, Thought hakduma previously. So what's going to be explained here is what we've explained previously regarding Yisrael, Sarkel, this spark of God that exists within us. It's not a creation. It precedes creation. So God, he loves his creations. He creates something and then he loves it. The difference with our soul is that he didn't create our soul and then love it. He has always loved our soul because our soul has always been one with Hashem. And we discussed this a little bit when we spoke about the Or and Sof, right? About the unlimited light of Hashem. It's not a creation. It's an emanation. It's one with Hashem. And our soul fits into that category as well. Our soul precedes anything that was created. As it says, Yisrael aluba machshava hakduma, that the Jewish people were in Hashem's previous thought, that the soul was always one with Hashem, even before Hashem decided to create a world and to create creations. And what is the point here? 
that our soul has always loved Hashem. It's not this new phenomenon that now God created this thing, this creation that's naturally in love with God. No, our soul is one and has always been one with Hashem. So this love that we're speaking about, that we're trying to tap into, it's always been there. But we have to seek it out, right? This is why we say in Elokai Neshama every single morning, Elokai Neshama, God, the soul that you gave to me, Tahorahi, it is pure. And then we say, Atabarata, you created it, Atzayatzarta, you formed it, Atanafachtabi, and you blew it into me. The question is, why doesn't it first say the process of how our soul came into existence? You created it, you formed it, you blew it into me, and then describe the soul, which is that it's pure. The order seems off. First describe the soul and then explain how it came into existence doesn't make sense. You first want to explain how it came into existence and then describe the soul by saying that it's pure. And the answer is because our soul was always pure. Our soul always existed in purity and unity with Hashem even before Atabarata, even before you took that spark of godliness that is our soul and created it and formed it and blew it into a physical body. So kodem atabarata, we say tohorahi, we say that the soul is pure before we say that God created the soul. And this is the aspect that we spoke about, where this light, this concealed light shines. We said that God created light and he saw that it was good, that Hashem saw that the light was good, right? That's what we say in Bereshit. What does Chazal explain? What do the sages say? What does it mean that the, the light was good? It was good, it was good to conceal. It was too good. It was so good that God had to hide it because if he would shine this light on the world, if the truth of the light of our soul would be revealed, we wouldn't feel separate from God. We wouldn't have free choice. So God conceals it and he conceals it within the heart of every single one of us. So So this is the concealed love. As we mentioned previously, the parish in the explanation of the verse, a ta'or kitov, that God created the light and he saw that the light was good, kitov lignoz, good to conceal. This is what the verse is referring to, that which my soul has loved in the past, mikvah, from previously. So this woman is seeking out her lover who she's always loved. The Jewish people are seeking out Hashem, who we have always loved by looking again within ourselves. Ach, as we, the altar is going to repeat here. Yesh mi she'ahavazu, there are those who this love that exists within every single one of us, he me'pchinat aveda tzlo, it's been lost to him. Me'pchinat galut kanal, and it's in the state of exile, kaniskar el, as we mentioned above. V'yalzeh ne'emar, and on this, the verse says, back to this verse of Shir Hashirim, avaksha et sha'avanafshi, I am seeking out that which I have always loved. We have always loved God, our soul has always been connected to God, but we have to actively seek out this connection because it's been concealed and it's in a state of exile. That we've discussed until now. And so we see this, where specifically is she looking for her lover who she's always loved? Where do we look for this spark of Hashem that's always loved Hashem, that's always been one with Hashem? In the marketplace and in the streets in the place where you lost it. That we discussed already previously as well. So the altar is wrapping up what we've discussed and then going to add a new dimension, a new point that we see from the verse. We look specifically in the streets and in the marketplace, not in the ideal place where you'd love to find your lover in the roses or whatever. 
He's looking, she's looking for him in the streets and in the marketplace, in the place where she last saw him, in the place where she lost him. Where do we find that, the love that exists within us in the place where we lost it? We need to do some soul searching, some digging and see where, does this, where did this disconnect happen? We were born loving God. We were born connected. We were not only born, we were created. Not only created, we have always, even before creation, been connected. But we need to find where that connection got lost, where we started to get apathetic, we started to feel disconnected, we started to get distracted. And in those places, when we go back there, we can find the truth that we've always been connected and that we are one with Hashem and that we love Hashem. Ach, however, af gam im even if we find that which we have lost, we find that spark, we find that connection, we reconnect with that love, even for a moment, we say, oh, I feel, I feel that my heart actually cares about God. I feel that there's something within me that yearns for a connection with godliness. So we find that for a moment, for a day, for a week, for the whole elo. Even if you find it, it will not be sustained, or Hashem, the light of God, built without vessels. As we're going to see in the verse, she seeks out that which she has loved. He who she has always loved. Where does she seek him out? In the streets, in the marketplace where she last saw him, where she lost him. And then she finds him. And what does she do? She holds on to him and she doesn't let go. And that is the point here. When we do successfully access the truth of the love that we have for Hashem, we do rekindle that passion, again, for a moment, for a day, for a week, for a minute. We need to make vessels. Because what are we doing when we're tapping into that? We're drawing down the aura of Hashem. We're drawing down the light of Hashem, which we said is accessible and near to us, specifically in Elul, in a way that it is not throughout the year. What happens when we tap into this? What happens when we greet the king, when we access this infinite light of Hashem? We have to make vessels because a light, a flame, cannot be sustained without a match, without a wick, without something holding it down. So too with us. So let's see inside. That the light cannot be sustained, it cannot last without vessels. Kizeh gorem histalkuta or because this causes the light to go out, kanoda, as we know. So what is this advice that the Alter Rebbe opened up chapter 3 with? What is the advice? To make vessels for the light of Hashem. What are these vessels? These are the letters of Torah. Because what did the woman do in, the, in, in Shira Shirim? She took. She found him, she found her lover who she's always loved in the streets in the place she lost him. She held on to him and she brought him into his, her mother's home. What is the mother's home? This is the written Torah. And once she entered the home, where did she take him? To the bedroom of my parents. This is referring to the Torah Shabbat Peh. Why is the house of my mother Torah Shabbat If I understood this correctly, I will try to explain from what I understood. Um, Betty Mi, the house of my mother, this woman came directly from her mother, right? It was very clear. Her mother gave birth to her. She came directly from her mother. And so to Torah Shabbat we see comes directly from Hashem. Okay, this is what I've understood. Torah Shabbat comes directly from Hashem. And then Cheder Horati, the bedroom of my parents, where I was conceived, that's the next process. So we come directly from our parents and then... We go through this process of pregnancy and come out in an almost indirect way. So too, the Torah Shabal Peh comes from the Torah Shabal The oral Torah is completely dependent on the written Torah. 
Nothing that exists in the oral Torah exists without being traced and sourced back to the written Torah. The written Torah is the source, like the mother, and then the oral Torah is the manifestation of that source, is, so to speak, the pregnancy and the giving birth and the conception that happens as a result of the written Torah. That's, if that wasn't so clear, it's because it's not so clear by me. That's what I understood, okay? So don't ask me questions on it. Um, but Beiti Mi, the house of my mother, is the Torah Shebechtav. The bedroom of my parents is the Torah Shebaal Peh. Which means that if we want to hold on to our lover who we've always lost, who we lost and we found in the place that we lost, we want to hold on to him and not let go, what do we need to do? We need to take him into the home of our mother, into the bedroom of our parents. We need to make vessels of Torah to ground that light and draw it down in a way that it can be lasting. So that inspiration that we worked so hard to tap into can actually last, not only in the moment that we tap into that inspiration, but also afterwards. As it is written, as we already brought this verse previously, that Hashem, your God, is a fire that consumes. Just as it is impossible for fire to survive, to hold on, without a wick, or anything holding it down, so too, the verse says, I held on to him. I did not let go until I brought him into the home of my parents. If we tap into this light, the light automatically will go away. That's the nature of fire, that if it doesn't have anything holding it down, it's going to just disappear, right? So, so too, we need to make a wick. We need to make something to ground, to hold down this fire so that we can hold on to this love and never let it go. And that is expressed through learning Torah. And as we're going to see, also through giving charity, as we're going to see in a moment. As is explained in the Zohar on this verse, again, I am to my beloved and my beloved is to me, who is found shepherding amongst the roses. Another explanation for roses. Before we discuss roses, Roses are red and they can turn white through fire and the process that we discussed there. Now we have another explanation of Haro'eba Shoshanim, who is shepherding among the roses. Shoshanim means roses, but if you change around the vowels a little bit, the Zohar explains it's Sheshone Halachot. Sheshone means that learns, that studies, Halachot, the Halachot, the laws, the Torah laws. And that's why this verse of Ani Ledodi specifically uses the term who shepherds. What does a shepherd do? He feeds his flock. That's what he's doing all day. He's taking it from pasture to pasture. Because the Jewish people sustain their father in heaven. As we discussed, the role of the farmers is in a way, not in a way, is more important than the role of the city dwellers. The city dwellers who are the tzaddikim and the angels they're very sophisticated, they're very godly, they understand a lot, but they are dependent on the farmers to sustain them with food. It doesn't matter how smart you are, if you don't have food, you don't live, and then your smartness and your greatness is worth nothing. So the role of farmers, which is who we are, is to sustain and to feed not only, the, we said, the people in the city, but also the king himself, right? And so too here, Yisrael mefarnasim la'avim b'shabashamayim that the Jewish people are the ones who sustain their father in heaven. How? 
since through involving ourselves and immersing ourselves in the study of Torah, which is the will of Hashem, my spirit reflects His spirit. We draw down God's spirit to, be, to rest, to be revealed, the truth of the desire of Hashem. So Hashem wants to be revealed down here. That's what Hashem wants. That's Hashem's desire. And he's dependent upon us, upon the farmers, to sustain his desire, to give him what he wants. What does God want? That his light be drawn down here, specifically to this world. It's only possible to draw down light with vessels. How do we draw down the light of Hashem? With the vessels of Torah. We learn Torah. We make vessels for Hashem to be able to be drawn down and to rest specifically down here, which is what Hashem wants. So Hashem depends upon us, upon the physical people all the way down here in this lowly world to fulfill his ultimate internal deepest desire, which is to be revealed down here. How do we reveal Hashem? Within our own hearts and within the world? By making kalim, by making vessels. Through the language and the, through the otiot, as we call it, of Torah. Through learning Torah and then living Torah. And here the Altarab is going to bring us an example. We see that just as through a person eating food, he unites his soul with his body, right? Just as a flame cannot be sustained without a wick, a soul cannot be sustained in a body without food. If, if, if we don't eat, then the soul leaves the body. So what binds the soul with the body? Food, sustenance. So just Food allows that the strength, the power of the soul should spread through his body. The same is true. That is how we sustain our Father in heaven. Through learning Torah and doing mitzvot. Which is the will and the desire of Hashem. That the Spirit reflects the spirit and it draws down Hashem's ruach. Liot shoret to be drawn down mitgaleh and revealed. This deepest desire of Hashem, panim, that Hashem's light should shine al through the Torah. So if we want this inspiration that we've achieved in Elo, that we've achieved in Tishrei, this light that is, that is shining, the truth of Hashem's desire that is shining down onto us and that is revealed in our soul, we want that to last, we want that to be sustained, we need to give it vessels, we need to give it what to hold on to, we need to give it food and sustenance, and that is Torah and mitzvahs. Gam al yadei mitzvah tzedakah. saying that it's giving food to Hashem? Yeah, because Hashem's desire is to be revealed down here. And the only way you can do that is if we make vessels to hold down that light. Because the nature of light is that it just disappears. So we're not comparing Hashem to eating food. We're saying that just as a soul, which is so spiritual and it's so elevated, can only do its job through food. It's dependent upon some sort of sustenance to be able to remain down here, remain anchored in a physical world where it doesn't belong, so to speak. So to Hashem whose desire is to be down here and to be revealed in this world, is anchored through Torah and mitzvahs. So the idea of food is the idea of dependence. The soul is dependent on food, even though it's so spiritual, and God is dependent on our Torah and mitzvahs so that he can be down here, so he can remain down here. So his light doesn't just automatically go back up, which is what its nature is. We see this, 
that this also works with the mitzvah of tzedakah. So with Torah, the language, the letters, and the studying of Torah, that draws and sustains Hashem's light down here in this physical world. And also the action of tzedakah, of charity. Shulmidat chesed, which is the ultimate expression of Hashem's chesed and of our chesed. Shulchitsoniot this is the external, it's the vessel for the light. It helps the light to be anchored down into this world. And this love in an internal way. So to take this love and to help it be sustained, we need to give charity and we need to learn Torah. We need to give, make vessels in our life to, have, to help retain this light and this spirituality. As we say every single day in the Shemona Yisrael, because you have given us the light of your countenance. How do we keep this light of your countenance? We say this in Sim Shalom Tova every day. That Hashem gives us the light of his countenance, the Torah which is life, and the loving kindness which we said is tzedakah, is charity. Pirish, this means, that the light which comes from the face of Hashem, which is the light that we've been speaking about this whole mimer, it has two vessels to be able to be drawn and held down and sustained in this world, Torah the Chesed Kanal, which is Torah and Chesed and charity, as was mentioned, as was mentioned above. So we did a lot of reading just now. So let's just try to summarize this a little bit and we'll continue tomorrow as well to just wrap our heads around this idea and to go over the whole Anila Dodi. So we said that this entire mimer is revolving around this idea of light, right? So the king in the field represents the, what's called the 13 midot harachamim, which is a tremendous infinite level of Hashem's light that is accessible to us in Elo and that is revealed in our soul in Tishrei. We said, how can we tap into this light? By tapping into the light of our own soul. And how do we sustain this light when we do tap into it? How do we keep that inspiration going, that fire, that passion? through Torah and mitzvahs, through taking godliness and putting it into our lives, in, in our day-to-day lives, not only in these inspirational moments. And when we do that, we make vessels to keep this light and this passion, this connection alive and going so that it doesn't just last in the moment, it doesn't just last for Elul, but it can also last, it can also last for the rest of the year. Okay, so we'll wrap, we'll wrap up this idea tomorrow. We'll have a bit of a summary and um, tomorrow's Wednesday, and then Thursday, yeah, so maybe either we'll do it over two days, or we'll start learning something for Yom Kippur, I haven't fully decided, but we're going to do a bit of a wrap-up tomorrow, okay. Does anyone have any questions or comments? I have a question about the second one, the Tzedakah. Sure. Tzedakah is a it's another kli, it's the outside? Yeah, shel to kli. Kli... Many times, kli is chitzoniot. It's the external. So it's referring to this, in this context, what it looks like, it's referring to the same thing. Chitzoniot or kli lebchinat or. So when you learn Torah, you're doing tzedakah, you're essentially creating that external vessel, and then the love can... Which helps to ground the light, exactly. The love, which is the light, the fire, the passion. Here it's speaking, in this context, light, right? Hashem's light that we want to draw down. How do we draw it down? By looking at the external aspects of the light so we can actually draw it down. The external aspects of the light are Torah and Tzedakah. That's Why what Caleb... Why is mentioning Tzedakah later? Say again? Why is mentioning Tzedakah later in the 
You mean, why is it mentioning it before, not mentioning it before Torah? I don't know. It's the same. It's the equivalent of it. Stokka and Torah are two different ideas. Torah is tapping into Hashem's wisdom. Stokka is tapping into Hashem's kindness and chesed. Um, Why this one is coming before the other, I'm not sure. But we see also the order of the verse that the altar abuse is using as a source from davening says first Torah's Chaim and then Avas Chesed. Torah's Chaim is referring to learning and living Torah and then Avat Chesed is referring to charity. So that's the order that it's brought down in the verse. Maybe it's just corresponding to that order. I'm not sure. Okay, but they're both, I don't think it's saying that one's more important than the other here. They're both two vessels to help draw down this light. Okay. And also to help us the love that we've rekindled. Exactly. It, it, we're talking about the same thing. So there's Hashem's desire that his light should be drawn down into the world. And then that, that exists. Make me a sanctuary. Draw my light down into the entire world, into the Beit HaMikdash, which spreads to the whole world. And then within every single one of us, we have our own sanctuary. So it's this dual thing going on. We're drawing down the light into our own soul, into our own life. And we're also drawing down Hashem's light into the whole world when we learn Torah and we do mitzvahs. So these two things are happening at the same time. Does that make sense? Yeah. So when we so see... Confused by the love and the light. Though. The love and the light. <laughs> so light means revelation. Okay. And love, that, as we said, the love is the always Ava there. Yeah. The Ava Mesoteret is always there. It just says the light is there. But now it needs to be revealed. Right? So it's, it's the same idea. There's the light of Hashem that needs to be revealed in the world. There's the love of Hashem that needs to be revealed in our life. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're kind it's of like corresponding. Process, just on small scale, maybe. <laughs> yeah, and what actually happens is that both things are happening at the same time. So when we learn Torah, we're revealing the love, we're holding down that love in our, in our life, in our soul. And at the same time, we're drawing down Hashem's life into the entire world. Mm-hmm. Okay. And charity as well. We're affecting the changes simultaneously. Okay. Thank you. Welcome. It's nice to meet you.